Welcome to Four Questions Four, a podcast by Osgood Hall Law School presenting great conversations about legal education, the profession, and the law. Today, Osgood Alumni Board Co-President Patricia Olisker, a partner at Davies Ward Phillips and Weinberg, will have four questions for Osgood's new dean, Mary Condon. Mary Condon was appointed dean of Osgood Hall Law School on July 1, the 19th dean. She's a securities law expert and she's been on faculty since 1992. From 2008 to 2016, she served on the Ontario Securities Commission in a number of different roles, including vice chair. So it's great to talk to you, Mary, today about Osgood and your vision for the school and your new role as as dean. So let me just jump right into the first of the four questions. So question one, tell us about yourself and how you came to study law and how you came to uh, a career in academia. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity, of course, to talk about myself and other aspects of Osgood. Uh, Patricia, it's really nice of you to take the time to uh, to have this conversation. Uh, so in terms of, of my own sort of personal journey, I, you know, as many people do, that I'm from Ireland originally. And uh, in Ireland, you study law directly from high school. It's a direct entry program s- similar to the UK. And so I guess when I look back on the career trajectory that I've had, I probably would say that one of the key themes is the influence that various teachers have had on me over the years. And of course, that perhaps is uh, an indication of why it is that I'm interested in academia myself. But it started because in high school in Ireland, you uh, you take a standardized exam and the results of that exam determine which program you go into. I had wanted to study history and English uh, because those were my favorite subjects in high school. But when the results came out uh, and it was clear that I had uh, achieved a uh, results that would allow me to to uh, go into a law program. My primary school teacher came to the house and really persuaded me that uh, this was an opportunity that I shouldn't pass up. So, you know, he really had the effect of making me consider again the question of going into law. And then once I was completing my law degree, I also had a couple of very influential teachers there uh, in different ways. One of them was Mary Robinson, who, you know, many people know, became the president of Ireland and also had some very important roles at the UN later in her career. I was speaking to her about the issue of qualifying to be a barrister in Ireland, which is one of the the two tracks you can go on after uh, you finish your law degree in order to enter the profession. And she said to me, "Um, do you have family connections in law? And she said, the reason I'm asking you is that as a female barrister, it will be really difficult for you to to make a go of that career without connections to people who will give you briefs, because this is a very traditional profession. This was, of course, back in the early 1980s. So that was something that I really had to think about carefully in terms of where I would develop my career. And then at the same time, another one of my professors was Mary McAleese, also ironically became the president of Ireland after Robinson. Uh, she taught me criminology, and she said, you know, there's this wonderful uh, master's program in criminology at University of Toronto 
Toronto and it's world renowned. Maybe you should think about uh, applying to that and, and taking, uh, seeing where that interest takes you. So I did. U of T gave me a very generous scholarship. I came to Toronto to do that program. Then after that, moved to the law school at U of T to uh, do an LLM and a doctoral degree there. And so uh, once those were completed successfully, I applied for a faculty job at Osgoode and uh, have been there since the early 1990s. And and so what took you from criminology to regulatory law? That's not a direct line. Well, no, and that's an interesting question because my master's uh, thesis actually was on the topic of prosecutorial discretion. And indeed, I, I had the opportunity earlier this year to give some testimony to the House of Commons Committee on the questions of prosecutorial discretion and how it's exercised. Uh, and I was supervised there by Professor Edwards, who's again a world-renowned expert in the question of, of the uh, discretion of the uh, Attorney General to control prosecutorial decisions. So in the process of doing that uh, work, I learned that there were other types of entities that exercised prosecutorial discretion beyond the traditional criminal justice uh, officials, and one of them was securities regulators. And so it was partly through kind of a, an initial interest in enforcement and the way in which enforcement discretion is exercised that led me to the study of securities law, although I quickly realized that you can't really study enforcement without uh, putting it in the broader context of policy making and philosophical approaches to regulating markets. So that's how I ended up writing my doctoral work on, uh, on securities law. And that's where uh, I ended up making uh, my teaching and research career after that. So your, your comment on, on the two Marys who were so <laughs> instrumental in setting you on a path, I mean, not many people can point to those kinds of inspirational moments with people who become world leaders, but I think probably everyone can, if they think about it, can find a moment where a teacher or a professor, either through a comment or a relationship, actually redirected their career. So I think what set you on the right path, I think many people can find in their own experience. Also interested in your comment at, that at the time it was relevant who your family was and what your relationships were to determine your career choices. And I think it tells us how much has changed about law and the legal profession since your early days. And since you and I were both in law school, I think very much has changed about that experience as well. It used to be the case that at the front of the room was a professor who had a textbook. The students were really required to study a set curriculum and then were fairly confident of a certain career path as they left the school. I don't think much of that is true anymore, and that, that leads me to question two. So what are the challenges facing Canadian law schools today? Uh, I guess I'd say that I'd want to start both with the idea of challenges, as you've suggested, but also opportunities. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right that the very traditional model of how we teach in law school has really evolved over the years, and I see that as a wonderful opportunity to, to diversify the types of pedagogy that uh, we offer to our students today. One of those, of course, being the idea that we really want to provide students with experiential education experiences. So we've really uh, moved from the idea that people learn by listening to the, you know, the authority in the room to the idea that people learn as much uh, by doing things themselves and getting the opportunity to try, um, you know, very sophisticated work under the supervision of lawyers. So that's why at Osgood we've really invested a great deal of time and effort and resources into our experiential education offerings. We now have 19 clinics and intensive programs, including the one that you yourself are kind enough 
enough to oversee for us the Advanced Business Law Workshop. So forms of pedagogy have been changing over the years, and that's absolutely true. And you know, we think at Osgood that we really are at the forefront of, of developing and, and making those changes. The other thing I think that has really changed, and this is a generational shift for Canadian law schools, is the whole question of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples and what law schools are doing across the country. And here, I, you know, I credit the vision of my predecessor, Lauren Sawson, for really moving Osgood very far along that road. We now have a requirement that every graduating student from Osgood will have taken a major course in Indigenous perspectives in law. And the thing that is really exciting about that, I think, again, to talk about this as a generational shift is that, you know, when you think about it, we will have an entire cohort of law students who will now have had a really meaningful connection to that perspective on law. And it'll be so exciting to see what they do out there in the legal profession, having gained that knowledge and having reflected on those issues. So I think we haven't yet seen how uh, all of those reconciliation exercises will play out. And clearly, there's more to be done. We're delighted that we've hired another faculty member at Osgood this year who is a, a, a very uh, expert, uh, a talented Indigenous scholar. So we'll be able to continue to offer a variety of, of courses in that area. But as I say, it'll be really interesting to see how that actually changes the legal profession writ large once we have a critical mass of graduates who, who have uh, that kind of experience. Of course, the other thing that Osgood's always been known for, even back in the day, is the, the sophistication and the diversity of the research that our faculty does. And so that hasn't changed over the years, but it has, I think, really developed in the range of areas where people are pursuing their research activity. But then to get to your question specifically about challenges, of course, as you mentioned, the legal profession is really uh, changing rapidly over the last number of years. And the thing that we are thinking very hard about at Osgood is how is it that we're going to get our students ready for those changes? And those changes are both, you know, positive and negative. They are positive in the sense that I think what we see is a number of very different types of opportunities available for students once they graduate from law. It's true that many of them will not go into the private practice of law as as has been sort of traditionally the destination. Many of them will do that, of course, uh, still, but others will go into roles that involve being in corporate legal departments. They'll go into government advisory roles. And certainly from my time at the OSC, I know that there are a number of very talented lawyers who do that kind of work for their career and it's a huge contribution. And of course, we again at Osgood also uh, pride ourselves on educating lawyers who will serve vulnerable populations. And, and we obviously want that to continue through our association with the Parkdale Legal Clinic and our, our uh, connection to, to CLASP, our community legal services clinic. So um, it is true that there are these competitive pressures, of course, on law firms coming from the accounting profession, coming from the accelerated role of of technology in doing some of the work that lawyers used to do. But again, I think we're we're fully aware of those issues at the law school and really trying to make sure that our students are, are ready. The other thing that, I, of course, I might say is that the uh, government's relationship to university education is something that w- is still very much playing out over this last uh, year or so. And so we'll have to really see where that goes. Uh, one of the things that we understand will be an issue is the development of metrics to measure the success 
success of law school education uh, for our graduates in addition to university education generally. So here, you know, we I think we'll have a really good story to tell. The thing that does concern me a little, though, is that if one of the metrics is the amount of salary that lawyers are earning once they complete law school, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we really do have a commitment to making sure that our graduates serve underserviced and vulnerable populations, poverty law, those kinds of legal jobs are not as well remunerated as other jobs. And so we want to make sure that there's still very much an opportunity for our students to express those commitments. So the expectation is that these metrics would be established by the government and imposed on the law schools? Well, imposed on universities. And, you know, this will be very much a a university-wide response that each university in Ontario is currently grappling with. So we don't yet know how it's going to play out. Again, in principle, our graduates will be well uh, established to assist the university to show that we're doing well on that metric. But, But within our law school population, there obviously is a range of students, uh, some of whom go on to high-paying jobs and some of whom don't. So we'll want to be sure that that's something that's taken into account in the way that those, uh, the way that uh, importance is given to those metrics. You know, one of the things I observe as a uh, member of the adjunct faculty teaching in the advanced uh, M&A workshop is just how well prepared those students are for private practice. Now, it's a, a small group. It's 16 students, and they tend to be those that focus in the business law areas, but they come to that class very well steeped in tax, business, and security. So I think that's a credit to you know, the, the professors who focus on those areas, and they leave that course, I think, very well prepared for practice. So that's one small segment I know that that's headed to Bay Street. And then interestingly, to your comment about the Aboriginal perspective, one of the other courses you know that we're teaching now for the second year is Cannabis Law, and that's a course that lends itself very well to introducing you know, an Aboriginal perspective into the learning. What struck me last year teaching the course is just how fluent the students are in the language of that study. And so again, I think that's a credit to the school. Uh, As those people enter the mainstream of the profession, I think they will begin to change the conversation or introduce a conversation onto Bay Street that we haven't been having. So it's a credit to the school. And I think that leads generally into the next topic, the sort of age-old debate about what, what makes a great law school. And, and what is the role of the law school in preparing students for the practice of law? So question three. The Federation of Law Societies and the Law Society of Ontario have been debating what law schools should offer in order for graduates to be ready to enter the profession. What's your opinion on that? I'll just start by picking up on a comment that you made just a moment ago about the richness and the diversity of our curriculum at Osgoode, because uh, I I appreciate you commenting on that. And certainly in my role before this current role, when I was the Associate Dean Academic, I was very closely connected to the question of our curriculum and the the scope and breadth of the curriculum, and, and certainly can attest to the fact that I really do think we have the deepest and broadest curriculum of any law school in Ontario and, and in Canada. It's not just because of the size of the full-time faculty and and the way in which they are experts in their own fields, but also the really talented and and innovative adjunct faculty that we can draw upon from downtown Toronto and from uh, further away to really enhance the offerings that we can provide to our students. So, you know, so I I think from that perspective, from the perspective of, you know, preparing students for almost any area of the practice of law that you can think of, environmental law, indigenous law, business law, I think we 
we we are very in, in very good shape. But in terms of this sort of other debate about exactly what are the types of uh, skills and um, exposures that students should have when they're in law school as they're getting ready to, to move into legal roles, my own perspective is that the idea that a law school, a three-year experience, can really give a student every single type of experience and skill that they will need over the course of their career, you know, you can freeze that in time and say, okay, now you know everything you need to know is really uh, is, is really a little bit uh, short-sighted. We know, and this is true for adults generally, we know that careers develop in many different ways and that really le- learning is a process of, of a lifelong interaction with new information and uh, new approaches. And that's, of course, why our Osgood Professional Development Program is so successful, because having understood that we really are in a process for lawyers of, of helping them engage in lifelong learning, we have really, I think, moved very far to make that, that lifelong learning uh, possible for lawyers and graduates. And we're delighted at the way in which the legal profession engages with professional development to make that all happen. You know, So I think my perspective on this is that there are a certain number of foundational skills and experiences and understandings that students should graduate their three-year law degree with. Uh, from an innovation perspective, one of the the things that we've done quite recently is we've introduced a simulated client initiative, which is going to allow first-year students in their legal process class to uh, have the experience of interviewing clients and then getting feedback from those simulated clients about the way in which they, they managed that uh, enterprise. And so we are hoping to introduce some of those types of of skills into the curriculum. But um, in general, I think the key thing that law school should be doing is creating the circumstance where graduates know how to think like a lawyer. And of course, we know that thinking like a lawyer has many layers to it as well, and it's not always a, a singular type of enterprise. But we know that law schools are really good at educating students in the foundational concepts of what it means uh, to an- analyze an issue from a legal perspective, those critical thinking skills that people need in order to be able to argue by analogy from one circumstance to another. And I would also say that the thing that uh, legal education at Osgood is really good at is making students aware that they need a, a sort of a basis in evidence for making certain kinds of claims. So, of course, the law of evidence is the traditional way that we understand the way in which there are some claims that you can make in a courtroom context and there are others that you can't. But more broadly, there you know is a real shift now to evidence-based policymaking that I think many of our graduates are getting exposed to in the course of their learning at Osgood. So, you know, f- colleagues who do work on you know, what exactly are the costs of failing to provide access to justice? What are the motivations for investor decision-making and how should that impact on uh, policymaking uh, in the securities regulation area? What is millennial debt? You know, what are the consequences of uh, millennial debt in terms of overall uh, legal and, and uh, economic policy? So that kind of attention to empirical information and the way in which it should allow lawyers to make important interventions both on behalf of clients and on behalf of policy development more generally, I think, is an important contribution that Osgood makes. And of course, our general philosophical approach to experiential education is one in which we try to create a feedback loop between theory 
and practice and reflection on the way in which theory influences practice, the way in which practice influences theory. And I think we're very committed to that approach uh, to experiential education because of how rich it is. And then the final thing I'd say is just to go back to my point about what does it mean to be educated uh, to join the legal profession, I think we have always at Osgood really focused on understanding and, and educating students to be ethical in the decisions they make as a member of the legal profession. We want them to have good judgment. We want them to have the ability to collaborate with their peers. And I think all of those really important skills are skills that we'll continue to try to generate and uh, solidify for our students. And I think that will serve them well in the long run. Your, your comment that, you know, one of the chief goals is to teach young students to think like lawyers and to develop critical thinking really resonates with me. I think there's a point that every law graduate can find in their past where they flip that switch and develop the lawyer brain. And it's, it's a one-way switch. You never, you never go back to thinking like a, an ordinary person again. And I think the law school critically plays, you know, the role in training, training the brain so that students can adapt in the, in the practice world to any, you know, any form of legal activity. So you've made many comments about the law school and, and what, you know, what makes the law school great. It's the great curriculum, it's great faculty. But I think so much of what makes a law school great as well is the quality of the students that seek out that school for, for their education. And that brings me to question four. You know, Osgood is one of the largest law schools in Canada. How do you maintain academic standards while at the same time being true to Osgood's value of accessibility? You know, there's no doubt that we attract a really bright cohort of students to Osgoode every year. We have high admission standards. We have a, an admissions policy that is holistic in the sense that we look at people's grades and we also look at their LSAT scores. So, you know, we really have a very talented group of students that um, join our law school community every year. And the other really foundational point about our cohort of law students at Osgoode is that diversity is really in our DNA. It's something that we are very proud of. You know, in those last number of years when I've looked out at the composition of the entering class each year as in my role as associate dean and now as dean, I've been so proud of the way in which our admission policy has really fostered that diversity. And I think you yourself, Patricia, in those last few years of being on the stage at convocation will have noticed the same thing, that we graduate a highly diverse uh, group of very talented students who are now going to take their place in the broader legal profession. Having said that, a financial accessibility is, of course, always a challenge. We understand that going to law school is a costly endeavor, and we really try to uh, work as hard as we can to make sure that no uh, qualified student is prevented from coming to law school for financial reasons. So we really put a lot of effort into making sure that we have a broad range of financial aid available to our students, both as they come into the school, the opportunity to apply for in-course bursaries, and then our income contingent loan program, which uh, allows students to come to law school for free and then pay back the cost of, of that tuition depending on where they land in a law job after they finish at Osgood, We can only admit a small number of students, admittedly, through our income contingent loan program, but I'm really delighted that one of our donors, Forum Equity, has recently given a significant donation that allows us to maintain and, and slightly expand that
that program in the next number of years. So, you know, we distribute $5 million or so each year in financial aid, as I say, in a variety of ways, in-course bursaries, internships, and exit bursaries as well. And we're, we're very committed to maintaining that level of uh, financial aid support for our students in order that, as I say, we can be sure that our class is fully economically diverse in addition to other forms of diversity as well. The other thing that uh, has been an initiative over the last number of years is to increase the the type of wellness uh, support that we offer our students. We have a wellness counselor on staff, and she has a number of supporters who also offer assistance. So, you know, we, we really try to understand the stresses of going to law school and the way in which thinking always about the way in which we can support our students throughout the, the, the process of, of their learning and their gaining of the skills that they need in order to join the legal profession. You know, for for law students of my generation, of course, the cost of law school was really inconsequential. Uh, and I we did not have the experience of graduating with this massive burden of debt. And it's uh, I think the reason why I think particularly lawyers of my generation need to be thinking thoughtfully about contributing to bursaries and ensuring access to legal education by others in an environment where tuitions are staggering. Well, we certainly do have a lot of very generous alumni who do support our students and and want to give back to the current cohort of students in order to recognize the the way in which their own careers have developed. So we, you know, we're we're really always very grateful for that. We're grateful for the many ways that our alumni contribute to the school through mentorship programs, through giving back to the school as adjunct professors, and through you know their openness to meeting with our students and giving them career advice and, and other kinds of assistance as they begin their journeys. But it's true that I think given the the cost of law school and the way in which, um, you know, it's expensive to to run the kind of rich program that we offer our students, we are always, at least in the foreseeable future, going to have to be thinking very hard about the way in which we generate those kinds of resources to assist our students. Well, you're clearly doing something right, because to the point you made earlier, one of the great pleasures is standing on the stage at Convocation and looking out at the you know wide variety of uh, students and their families who now make up the student body at Osgood. Clearly, it's attracting a fascinating, you know, diverse collection of students. I think the challenge for the legal profession now is to ensure that that population is adequately and fairly represented on Bay Street. So that's the next challenge for you and for us. Well, I'm absolutely sure that uh, you'll be able to take that enterprise on and make it something that there's a lot more attention being paid to. So I've no doubt that that's a conversation that you'll be involved in, Patricia. And I want to take take the opportunity to thank you again for allowing me to have this conversation with you and, of course, more generally for your important role on the Alumni Board of Osgood. We we rely very heavily on the generosity and, and, and the kindness of, of our alumni to help the school, and, and you're one of the, the people who really stands out from that uh, perspective. So thank you. And thank you, Mary. It was good talking to you. You've been listening to Four Questions for by Osgood Hall Law School. We hope you'll join us again next time 